0: This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas and educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Fresh Ed is holding its first ever live event on Sunday, April 14th in San Francisco. I will be interviewing Gita Steiner-Kampse about her new research on educational privatization in front of a live audience. Considering the recent teacher strikes in Oakland and beyond, this seems like a timely and important topic to discuss. You'll also get a chance to ask Gita some questions yourself, and meet the Fresh Ed team, including Sherry, Hung, and Lushik. Free tickets are limited, so be sure to reserve yours as soon as possible. You can do so online at freshedpodcast.com slash live. Again, that's freshedpodcast.com slash live. This event is being sponsored by NORAG, the Network for International Policies and Cooperation in Education and Training. Thank you, NORAG, for making this possible, and I'm looking forward to meeting some Fresh Ed fans in person. Last week, the Trump administration invited university, higher education association, and private company officials to the White House to discuss international students and post-college work. At the time of this recording, We aren't sure what exactly was said or decided in that meeting. But in an effort to provide some background on international student experiences in American higher education, Jenny Lee is with me today to discuss the underlying U.S. political climate for international students and scholars. In our talk, Jenny discusses the rise in discrimination and hate crimes since Trump's election and the presence of neo-racism on campus.
1: There is a sense of cultural or national superiority that is used to justify a mistreatment of those outside of one's nation state or culture or
0: nation. Jenny Lee is a professor at the Center for the Study of Higher Education at the University of Arizona. She is currently a NAFSA Senior Fellow, Associate Editor of the Review of Higher Education, and Co-Editor of the book series, Studies in Global Higher Education. Her latest piece can be found in the NAFSA newsletter, Trends and Insights. Jenny Lee, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thanks for having me. So can you give us a sense of just the sort of scale and importance of international students at U.S. universities today? Sure. We have a little over a
1: million students now studying in the United States, international students in colleges and
0: universities across the country. A million students. And is there a particular country where they come from, or are they coming from sort of countries all over the world?
1: They're predominantly coming from China and India. These two countries represent a little over half of all international students in the U.S. And I think it's also important to note, when I said over a million, 1.1 million students, I think it's also helpful for listeners to know that This is um, quite a large number, considering that we have 4.6 million international students across the world. The U.S. is the top global destination, hosting about a fourth of the world's students. So in terms of the global scale, this is quite significant.
0: Okay, so there's there's 4.6 million students that study abroad worldwide. America has 1.1 million, but that's still relatively a small number of students on U.S. campuses. Is that right?
1: That's correct. In terms of the actual proportion of internationals, the U.S. is quite low when we compare other countries that have a higher proportion of international students comprising their college student enrollments. We have a, a smaller number, but we can go on and talk about the significance
0: nevertheless. So what is the significance? Like, Why, why do universities see international students as, as um, of, you know, valuable to, to their purpose and their function?
1: Sure. Well, there's four major rationales that are used. The most common is the economic rationale. International students in the United States bring in about $42 billion to the US economy. Uh, International education is considered an export, considering the funding that international students and their families bring in through tuition, room and board, other expenses. This is all data collected by the US Department of Commerce. But in addition, international students support over 450,000 jobs in the United States. I think it's also important to know that international students um, bring in money from abroad. So we're not talking about U.S. sources of funding. About two-thirds of that is coming from outside sources, including from their family, home governments, sponsoring organizations outside the U.S. But going back to the original question about what are some of the benefits and why international education, uh, three more. International students certainly contribute to our scientific knowledge production in our research labs. They are highly concentrated in the science, technology, engineering, mathematics fields, known as STEM fields, and they whether they are postdocs, visiting scholars, international graduate students, and sometimes undergraduate students working in these labs. In fact, according to the National Science Foundation, more than a third of our postdoc researchers are in science, engineering, and health, um, and they have temporary visas. Two more uh, is. Certainly adding to the, the value of our institutional diversity, promoting our intellectual conversations in class, cultural, social, political exchanges. They bring international perspectives to U.S. classrooms. I think any U.S. professor can vouch for the added value that international students bring into their conversations. And a fourth key rationale is promoting political goodwill. The U.S. being well-known for its high-quality education attracts global leaders who, you know, where we're basically training, providing a high-quality education, but also promoting American values, such as democracy and academic freedom. So most of the the rationales that we read about in the news has to do with the economic benefits, but there's certainly many other intangibles, but also what makes U.S. universities so great in regards to our knowledge production, and ways that international students and scholars are key contributors to that.
0: So it seems like there's, there's great potential for international students to add value to higher education in, in America, both economically, both in terms of knowledge and diversity, and in terms of that sort of soft power that you were talking about. So when Trump was elected in 2016, it was on the idea of uh, America first, has that idea, has his agenda over the last two years impacted international students in America in any way?
1: Absolutely. And I think it's also helpful to talk about this within the broader context of, of immigration. It's hard to separate, especially when it comes to travel bans and, and other measures. But upon Trump's election, there has been a rise in hate crimes against minorities and marginalized groups, including immigrants. Um, and. We see spikes of hate crimes after elections, but what was different compared to Obama's election, where there was also a, a small surge of hate crimes upon that election as well, is that this is, there's been a consecutive rise. So this is the third year, according to the FBI, where we see a rise in right-wing extremism and domestic terrorism, and the FBI revealed that the threat of white nationalist violence in the US is as big of a threat as that posed by the Islamic State, but we don't call, you know, we tend not to call hate crimes domestic terrorism. But in addition, we're, you know, this is all over the news Trump's rhetoric that makes bigotry seemingly acceptable. There's no shortage of examples. So, this very simple and appealing platform on America First essentially is saying that we are going to prioritize interests of the United States, but that also means that positions the US in competition with other countries, other allies, but also places the blame on foreigners, so-called foreigners, when there are for individuals that are feeling disenfranchised and experiencing a loss of public support. So there's a scapegoating that also happens with America First, not just that we are going to make this country great, but how are we positioning this country in light of our allies, other countries, either as competition or as threats. And what does this mean for the individuals, these immigrants in our country, is we're seeing a connection with hate crimes uh, as well as policies that are being enacted or proposed to, to create an othering that makes it certainly more difficult for those individuals in ways they probably had not experienced in the
0: past. In, in terms of the numbers of students that are studying in America from other countries, has that number declined since Trump got elected? So in
1: 2016, we experienced a, a drop-off in the number of new enrollments. So although the U.S. still occupies the top spot is the the, the the most favorable destination in the world. But we're also seeing a lowering of new students coming in. So this is signaling some concern by universities, especially those heavily dependent on international student revenue and fees, as well as organizations thinking about the future of the US higher education place in the world. So with possibly fewer international students coming in the years to come, this is certainly of concern we are seeing some notable drop offs from uh, south korea from china it has been relatively the same if not higher and all of, there's a lot of nuances but in in overall we are seeing a lowering of of international new international students and very recently the council of graduate schools has also indicated a slight drop off in the number of international graduate students again which is concerning given what i mentioned before about their contributions to our scientific
0: production and knowledge. One of the policies that Trump put into practice was that travel ban, which caused all sorts of outrage um, in America. Did that have any impact on international students, either those currently in America or those thinking of going to America?
1: Yes. And for readers who, or listeners who are not familiar, we're talking about individuals from seven countries, five of which are majority Muslim, Iran, Libya, North Korea, Somalia, Syria, Venezuela, and Yemen. But in essence, this totals over 15,000 international students and over 2,000 international scholars who are being affected. This also includes their families. This also includes fears of returning home. This also includes current international students who are then uncertain about whether or not there will be even more bans on their particular countries. And also, as would expect, sends a chilling effect about the uncertainty of immigration policy for particular countries and what this means as to whether or not it's worth the investment of enrolling in an institution not being certain if the next four or five, however many years, would mean suddenly discontinuing. There was an uh, analysis published by Inside Higher Ed and they found that the number of F student visas had fallen shortly. So we are seeing a drop off as well as the number of uh, student visa applications. But again, I think the overall concern beyond the specific countries that are being affected is the message that you are not welcome here, that there are, especially if you're from certain parts of the world where you might be considered as as threats. Just most recently, there was also some concern because Trump had suggested perhaps there should be a ban on Chinese international students. And given that they are the, the majority of our Students are from China and India, but the highest proportion being from China, that is of, of great concern. As of now, that has not happened, but we can imagine that that will probably affect how Chinese students view future study in the
0: U.S. Is that part of this you know, supposed U.S.-Chinese trade war that's happening? Is that all caught up in that same context?
1: To some extent. So there has been some attempts already in this past June the there is a policy that was enacted that shortens the duration of visas for chinese students who are studying aviation robotics and manu, advanced manufacturing this was a visa for five years that now has to be renewed year to year and anyone who has gone through the visa process knows this is no easy uh, application this also there was also some suggestion to, and about reviewing phone records social media accounts and white house stephen miller uh, and others have purportedly argued that Chinese students are conducting espionage and transferring knowledge back to China Most recently we are seeing um, some news about the Confucius Institutes and. US universities cutting ties with them because again out of out of similar fears all of this is around some of the the, the feelings about the trade dispute with China China now being positioned as a competition or threat and so should we trust Immigrants coming into the country and particularly those that might steal our trade secrets or knowledge and 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 make the competition even more intense. And I again, this is largely unfounded. There has been some speculation. There's a lot more being done based on uh, my personal opinion, fear than facts. But I think this is also providing certainly appealing to Trump's face.
0: What I find so ironic is that Trump has been talking all about America first, and that seems to be what's driving the travel ban, and what's driving the trade dispute, and what sort of fuels the fire of his base. But yet by, for instance, in this example of international students, by putting in these policies that reduces the number of international students by discriminates international students and potentially removes them from from the American context, it lowers economic prosperity. It reduces the soft power that America might have. It reduces the knowledge and scientific advancement that, that might actually happen through these international exchanges. So in a sense, it's actually putting America last by implementing these policies in a strange way.
1: Absolutely. When we think about the mission of higher education institutions in creating and disseminating knowledge, that cannot be contained within borders. I think, you know, we're seeing increasing activity of academics realizing the importance and value of international collaboration, and to cut off such potential collaboration on a leading country is certainly shooting ourselves in the foot, is certainly putting U.S. higher education last. And we'll have some really grave consequences beyond the individual targeted countries, but the way that the U.S. is being positioned now as potentially isolationist. And again, that goes against what higher education is all about. So I think that the That is also the reason why we're seeing U.S. higher education organizations being very vocal about their opposition to such measures.
0: This might be a hard question. Has the Trump administration done anything to promote, advance, or support the internationalization of higher education, in your opinion?
1: So what good has Trump done for the field of international higher education? And that's a hard question, but I think that there is actually some good coming out of it. I was doing this work about, back almost 12, 15 years ago, and the work on the experience of international students and their mobility patterns is, would never, I never would have thought it that this would be, that I would be coded in major news outlets and this would be caught, that the research would be cited in in, you know, public media outlets beyond higher education journals. And even then it was very marginalized. So what he has done is certainly brought more attention to international students. I don't know if the idea of bad press is better than no press, but to some extent it has been raising public consciousness about the role of international students in higher education as well as U.S. society. And the good thing that has come out about it is that when we actually look at the data and, and the facts, we know that immigrants do not take away jobs, do they do not worsen our economies. They benefit the countries where they reside. So whereas we may have been taking these international student numbers for granted, now that there are some changes or potential changes, People are actually talking about the value of international education and what would U.S. higher education be without it, and those consequences are quite serious. So if anything, we're, we're, there's, we're, on, we're making headlines, and I think that in a way it's, it's informing audiences like this one about the value of internationals that are, have been mostly marginalized uh, when we think about U.S. college students, and now that we're seeing that they have certainly added value.
0: And and people now feel like they have to be vocal about about how that value is added.
1: Absolutely, and I think that even amongst international students, when I did my interviews fifteen years ago, they they had never reported some of the mistreatment and, and even you know there were even case of sexual harassment, physical threats. There was such a fear of being deported or being ousted from the university that much of this was kept silent. But now we're seeing. Again, on the news, the the Duke University case is an example of of administrators saying that Chinese students should not speak Chinese and and how that made such major headlines and, and her stepping down from that position. I think that there's more awareness now that it's not okay to stereotype international students. There's consequences for the university, and this is just not how we treat our international guests.
0: One of the ideas that you've written about is something you call neo-racism and how that's sort of a barrier to internationalization. What is neo-racism, and and I guess how is it different from, I don't know, maybe everyday racism?
1: So this goes back to a sociologist uh, named Etienne Balibar, and he was observing this influx of immigrants coming from northern Africa and the Middle East and what this meant for the identity of France because they were being and still being uh, mistreated, discriminated against based on this Arabophobia of changing French identity. I've then taken this concept to translate what this means for our international students, especially post 9 11. And neo racism does not replace the biological racism based on one's phenotype, but it masks it by encouraging exclusion based on cultural attributes of one's national origin. So, for example, I'm a Korean American, as you can tell my, by my voice, but looking at me, I look very much Korean. My experiences are are very different from a Korean international student based on their foreign accent, based on maybe their dress, maybe based on their cultural ways of, of how they present themselves, communication styles. All of that is not just racism. When that international student is stereotyped or targeted by their peers or administrators or faculty, this is not because not necessarily because they're racist it may be a form of neo-racism where there is a sense of cultural or national superiority that is used to justify a mistreatment of those outside of one's nation state or culture or nation and so that's that's basically what neo-racism is it doesn't mask biological racism but is used to justify in this globalizing world a hierarchy of countries and cultures where some are favored more than others. And that's what also why I I don't really buy into just blanket xenophobia, you know, where all immigrants are just not welcome. That that is certainly not the case. And I think neo-racism adds some more nuance to it in such as suggesting there's a global order of cultures that goes beyond race and thinking beyond the color of one's skin. That has to do with how certain countries are positioned in relation to the United States.
0: Does internationalization of higher education either further neo-racism or you know does it also sort of diminish neo racism. How does how does internationalization of higher education fit in to that hierarchy of cultures and countries and national identities?
1: So the in regards to enrollment, we're not seeing US universities trying to get students from the UK or Australia. I mean their position is our competition and, and rightly they, they are. They are major recipients. And so we're targeting students from India, from you know emerging economies, China of course. But we're not seeing neo racism in enrollment, but it has long been happening well before Trump was elected in regards to how international students are treated. So, in my research, I have yet to come across an international student a white international student from the UK, Canada, Australia, Western Europe, who complained about ways that they were discriminated against negatively, maybe positively, but negatively based on their country of origin. Very unlike the experiences of international students from Asia, from Africa, from Latin America. And again, going back to broader Trumpism, you know, Trump has made very clear in in his own neo-racist remarks, right, that he has. He does not want students from so-called shithole countries, referring to Haiti and countries in Africa at the time. He has made clear attempts to uh, refuse students from Muslim-majority countries as well as from China. He also made it very clear that he would like more immigrants from Norway. So I think if we think about this hierarchy, we're seeing these particular regions of the world that you know are referred to in horrible ways but also being banned or attempts to be banned and so that's what the hierarchy looks like where we're seeing a preference for students or immigrants from the global north majority european white anglo versus those in the global uh, global south
0: and what does it look like on campuses for students so you know if you're an international student and you are on some university campus in america you know, are you treated differently than, say, just an, you know, a regular American student, a white American student in particular?
1: So based on the interviews that I've conducted in the U.S., and I'll, I will mention that neo-racism happens throughout the world. This is not just a U.S. phenomenon. But globally, what we're seeing is you know, international students, first of all, if they're being valued for the economic rationale, this then stereotypes them as cash cows. Almost any Chinese student knows of this stereotype, that they know they have this economic value, but that also is a very dehumanizing way of thinking about an individual who comes to study in our universities and all that they have to offer beyond funding or offsetting our operation costs. So, you know, first of all, there's the most popular stereotype of of cash cows, but in addition, International students have reported that they are being stereotyped in class, even by faculty, not just by peers and sometimes administrators as well, but assumptions being made about them being in a so-called third world country. Um, sometimes they're excluded. There are policies in place where they can't work above a particular number of hours. They can't work full time on a student visa. But not only that, but also being not having the same kind of opportunities when it comes to being a teaching assistant maybe because of their foreign accent there's on the side there are actually programs in universities that help students get rid of particular types of foreign accents so that may that might be another uh, program in the future but also in regards to research opportunities in regards to making friends so th- You know, and all of that, I'm happy to refer to my 2007 article of neo-racism by with myself and Charles Rice, and that goes into far more detail for those who are interested.
0: So, what can be done? I mean, in this time of America First, in this time of sort of neo-racism, maybe on steroids, um, where it's becoming so commonplace to talk about, you know, quote-unquote shithole countries. What can be done? I mean, what or maybe what are universities doing to try and mitigate some of the damage that's being done to international students?
1: So, what universities are doing more and more is there's this hashtag that uh, anyone on Twitter or even I think they're even on websites now this hashtag, you are welcome here. So, universities are signaling to their students, you know, we have deans and university leaders sending letters to inter- prospective international students saying that okay, despite all the craziness that's happening in this country, not in those words, but despite the craziness, in effect, um, that you are welcome here, that this is a a safe place, we value your contributions, and we want you to come here despite, you know, what you might be hearing about our current politics. So there are some uh, messaging that's happening, Uh, we're also seeing as i mentioned earlier an increase in lobbying from organizations resisting attempts to restrict um, immigration that affects international students but in regards to what more can be done besides besides the more visible gestures is to acknowledge that these challenges are happening in our own universities and i think for a long time my research uncovering the neo-racist experience of international students. were not very popular in competition with marketing departments that were trying to bring more international students. So we don't want to send the message that this is a place that has a lot of problems. But I think acknowledging, right, owning is a, is a first step. In order for us to actually do anything about it, that this is happening in every university, that international students from particular countries are being affected. And these are not just people in the community who are making it challenging. We're talking about administrators, faculty, students in our own universities that need to be better educated about the value that international students bring and to combat the stereotype that they are taking the seats of locals or that they are worsening the quality of education or other stereotypes that simply do not hold in in the research. We also need more research. There's little being done on the actual experience of international students, particularly in a critical way. You know what is happening in the classrooms. How are they managing uh, with their accents? There's a lot of cases of of um, academic dishonesty cases of plagiarism, and again, that's also something that needs to be better understood. Is it valid? Does it? How do universities deal with that? And I think how do we incorporate more students? How do we get local students to be more engaged with our international students? That's an enduring issue. But again, ways to integrate them more in class, to promote more uh, discussions. We often see in classrooms, international students huddled together in their own study groups. And how can we better promote um, some more cross collaboration? So these are just leading issues. I'm not these aren't really concrete solutions for your listeners, but at least giving attention to some of the areas that that need more creative thinking, and certainly more proactive work.
0: Are you hopeful that this is a direction that universities will pursue, even during the presidency of Donald Trump?
1: I think that universities are pursuing it more than they ever have. I question the motives, because I do feel that large of, a big part of this has to do with potential decline in revenue. So we need our international students to help fund our universities, and we need to make sure that they're satisfied. So this consumerist approach is not necessarily the best, but I think it's, it's better than ignoring them completely or taking them for granted. But I think that We are also seeing, I didn't mention this earlier, but we're also, there's been a rise of our own local US students studying abroad. I'm hopeful that as more and more students have exposure to other countries, other languages and cultures, that there will be uh, more demands from our local students as well as faculty and staff on on how we can better internationalize ourselves. So this doesn't have to be a top-down policy effort only. I think that there is a lot happening with students seeking more of a global education, seeking global careers, global opportunities, traveling abroad, uh, whether it's for school or for fun. And I think that that is inadvertently shaping how universities are positioning themselves.
0: Well, Jenny Lee, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed. It really was a pleasure of talking today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Jenny Lee is a professor at the Center for the Study of Higher Education at the University of Arizona. A transcript of today's interview can be found at freshedpodcast.com. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not Fresh Ed, which takes no institutional position. If you've liked what you've heard today, please consider rating us on iTunes. It really does help. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Hong Zhong, and Lushik Waba. Fatih Akhtas is our researcher, and original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.